When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I'm Simon Hughes, and I've got to tell you, the Aussies are going soft because I've been speaking to one of their former stars, a World Cup winner, and he says... England are favourites for the Ashes. Imagine an Australian saying that. Not, I suspect, because Joe Root has been confirmed as England captain. Well, that was one of the worst-kept secrets of the year. We finally arrived where everyone expected to arrive when England lost 4-0 in India nearly two months ago. Hello, I'm Simon Mann. Our Aussie friend, by the way, is actually one of the people you perhaps least expect to be tipping England, apart from those actually directly involved in the Australian team. That's true. Uh, he's, he's an outspoken man, actually, and I, I'm looking forward to hearing what he's got to say again. Um, we've also got an exclusive for you, actually. There's some good news for bowlers and umpires in a redrafting of the laws of the game, which were first kind of conspired in... 1744 and a new change is about to be announced. Well, looking forward to hearing about that. Please leave a review on iTunes and also subscribe to the Analyst Inside Cricket so you'll get the programme automatically each week. Click on the button where it says subscribe. As we say every week, it's very easy. It was a, a fairly easy decision, I suppose, to, to make Joe Root captain. As you, as you mentioned, it was the, the, sort of the most open secret of the last few weeks. It was an inevitability. I, I guess... They must have had a bit of a, an interview procedure just to sort of check his credentials. But he was, he was always going to be Joe, wasn't it? Well, I suppose if you're Andrew Strauss, you, you at least want to know what his plans are. You know, that you, that you know that he's made some plans for being England captain. I mean, he, he, I interviewed him a couple of times in India and he says, I you know, haven't thought about it. You know, it's up to Alistair Cook to decide when he wants to go. But of course he's... He must have thought about it. Of course, he, he knew he was in the frame, and he, he probably had an inkling that Alistair Cook was going to go as well. He couldn't say it while he was in India. But, you know, as Andrew Strauss, you want to know the thoughts of your captain. You don't want to just rubber stamp it. OK, he's, he's next in line, off, off you go. You actually want to know what his plans are, surely. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I think also sometimes it's good to put the captain, the new captain, under pressure just to find out what he thinks, and often I think until you're put in that situation, you don't know what you think. 
yourself and it makes you it forces you as the potential new captain to to kind of get your thoughts together and come up with a, a sensible kind of argument a sensible philosophy and I'm sure it's actually a necessary part of being captain is well what is the way forward let's have a bit of planning here let's have a vision and then you can try and put that sort of vision into practice Joe Root is someone who's as we've already said on this program really he's steeped in the game he's he's sort of totally immersed in it and has been ever since he was about 10 and it's a it's a family affair as well and I just feel that he's someone who's so alive he's so alert to cricket and all its possibilities even when he has done a, a bit of captaincy when Cook say has been off the field you can see him changing the field putting himself onto bowl a couple of times I remember and and generally tinkering with things he wasn't afraid to do that even when Cook was off the field for a couple of overs so I think he's he's got captaincy kind of pouring out of him really out, out of every pore and I, I'm very excited to see how he does. Ben Stokes' name is, is his vice-captain. If we accept that there's a, a shelf life as, as an England captain, which might be, I don't know, four years, it might be longer in, in Joe Root's case because he's only 26, do you think Ben Stokes is a future England Test captain as well? You know, they, they all say, the players, that he's a great thinker uh, about the game. He's, he reads the game very well, and you can see that. You can see him often leading team meetings on the field and kind of galvanising the team when things have seemed to have just... You know, plateaued on the field. I've talked to him a fair bit about the game. He's got a very alert antennae about what's going on and personalities and and how to sort out different aspects of the game. I think he's he's a natural leader in terms of you know leading from the front. So he's got that anyway. Uh, I think that that he's he's an obvious potential leader in the future. He's just at the moment so passionate about the game. So vigorously and almost sort of emotionally involved all the time I think he might have trouble sitting back plus I mean he's so involved physically as well batting fielding bowling to actually give him the captaincy at the moment as well just be too much they did with Ian Botham didn't they all those years ago look how well that went (laughs) yeah in in a way there are similarities because they, they they are or were both as much involved in the game, weren't they? And Ian Botham all was involved in the game, and then so too with Stokes as well. And I, I mean, I suppose the other thing that, that again probably held Beefy's captaincy back a little bit and may have a little bit of an in, in, a detrimental effect to, to Stokes if he was captain is that they're so involved and you know facially physically you can see what they're thinking they wear their heart on their sleeve and you don't necessarily want that as captain you want someone to be a bit of a blank face uh, so that they're almost slightly inscrutable because otherwise that gives the opposition possibly a lift or a sense of well-being maybe if they see the captain of the opposition down and you know despondent or angry or whatever so that that was you know someone like Michael Vaughan's great skill was that he was always looking very cool and, and unaffected, uh, unworried. And I think that's reassuring to your team and a little bit off-putting for the opposition. There are two other captains, well, former England captains, who are in India, who played in the Test matches there, not in Test cricket, but in other forms of the game. Stuart Broad and Joss Butler, of course. Butler captain the one-day side in, in Bangladesh, as recently as Bangladesh. Broad captain the England T20 side. Do you think they were in the frame in, in any sense at all? No. Not really. You don't want too many candidates, do you? Because then you sort of you see, well, he's quite good for this and he's good for that, and you end up never making a decision. Broad again, too too emotionally involved. Fast bowlers. I, I, in a way, I feel a bit sorry for fast bowlers that they don't captain more because 
bowlers think about the game probably better than a lot of batsmen. They have to. You have to think about the game as a bowler all the time. Could you have captain? Would you like to have captain? Uh, yeah, I, I did captain a, a bit at sort of under-19 county, second eleven, the old uh, club game, obviously school cricket. I, I love captaining, and it probably helped me in my future career as a broadcaster because... As captain, you've got to look around and see who's bowling well and how a batsman's playing and what, what, how to get him out, how to move the field round. You know, you're looking at tactics and strategies all the time. And I loved all that. I just think as a fast bowler, if that is your only job, it's very difficult to be captain at the same time because you have to give your bowling so much energy and physicality that you sometimes haven't got any, anything left to give after you've finished a spell... You just want to go away and chill for a while. So you don't want to think about all the tactics. I, and... I think that's right. Yeah. Plus, I mean, in, in Broad's case, what's going to happen with DRS? He's going to use all of them up. <laughs> well, he does anyway. He does anyway. Use, yes, I suppose. <laughs> so you know, yeah, I think it's I think it's right to go with Root. He's he's the obvious case. He's the the Cut. youngest captain, youngest England captain since Mike Atherton. You know, to, to be named the official captain, uh, twenty six years. Of age, what about that? Well, that's fine. I think I'm more interested in how many tests he's played. Well, he's played 53, yeah. 53 test matches. Michael Atherton had played 27 mm. when he was named captain. Root averages 52. Just look at others. His average, actually, as captain, he averaged 40, which is higher than his overall average. So you know, he was someone who was named young as an England captain, mid-20s, actually did better as captain than he did... as. Not as the captain, and I, I, you know, I don't think that's uh, very surprising. And there are lots of people who will worry, and this seems to be a very English thing. Or you make him captain, his batting will suffer. But it, certainly, that's not the case uh, currently with Steve Smith, Virat Kohli, or Kane Williamson, all of whom have a better batting average since taking over the captaincy of their country than they had before. And I think there's a there's a simple reason for that, and especially this is applicable to an England captain. Captaincy of your test team is such a an all-consuming job. You're wanted day and night. It's 24-7, 12 months a year. You're always wanted for quotes. You're always wanted for meetings. You're always wanted for decisions. It's endless. It's, it's a relentless burden on a man. So what's the best way of escaping that? Bat in the middle, as long as you can. As soon as you're out, you're in the dressing room and there's people wanting you. Am I doing this right, Skip? Uh, come and have this meeting. Do we want this physio now or do we want to change him for this guy? What, what, we, what about food in the future? What about travel? What about hotels? What about coaching staff? I mean, there's so many things, sponsors, requirements. There's so much stuff off the field. So how do you escape that? Just bat all day and then you haven't got any problems. You make it sound very easy. Well, it, in a way, it's simple, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, it's it's and I, it, it really. Uh, I suppose I got that idea from. It's fairly logical, but I remember talking to the great basketball player Michael Jordan once uh, after his incredible sort of seventh World Series performance, winning final, you know, MVP in the World Series in in America. And he said, you know, people always want a piece of me wherever I am. I'm the, the most famous sportsman on the planet, practically. I can't get away from people except on the court. That is the one place I'm untouchable, mm. I'm invincible, I'm at peace. And I guess it's the same for a batsman who's captain of his country. He's at peace, doing what he loves, out in the middle. If you know that a captain, especially in someone in Root's case who's young, is going to be under that much pressure, you know, all that stuff that goes on off the field, is there a way, is there not a structure that 
you know, people, the support staff, they can actually take that away from him. Yeah, there is. But, you know, in the end, people want to hear from the captain. They want to hear his views. I mean, obviously, you can delegate, and it's a much better situation now than, say, in Michael Atherton's case. When he, when he was captain, I remember, you know, 95 in South Africa, the selectors were Illingworth, Ray Illingworth and John Edrich, and they spent most of the time playing golf. And Athers had to do literally everything, run the nets, team selection, probably pour the drinks at the end of the day, day off, you know, plan that. He had no help at all. So now there are, you know, 14, 15 support staff who can take a lot of the pressure off the captain, but somehow the captain still has many, many things to do. Mm. It's also the relentlessness of the programme as well, the the, the schedule that the the players are under. Just looking ahead, South Africa, his first test, and West Indies... And then, then the Ashes. It's a tough baptism, South Africa, although probably not as tough as it would have been, say, a couple of years ago. They've, I think they've just peaked a bit. They did Obviously, they beat Australia in Australia, but since then, they've lost a couple of players. De Villiers is not going to be part of the Test Series. So, I don't think South Africa are as, probably as tough as they would have been you know, a year ago. But still, they're going to be competitive. West Indies should be fairly straightforward. And then you've got the Ashes. So it, it's a pact. What well, It starts on July the 6th. They'll be playing 12 test matches in six months. And half of those test matches will be hard. So we'll, we'll see how good he is in a very short space does of it, time. Does it matter that he's only got seven tests before the Ashes? No, I think it's fine. I, I think that's ample. It's better than having none, isn't it? OK. Reveal the Aussie who's tipping England to win <laughs> the Ashes. Yeah, I... I I phone this guy because I, I've always think he, he always has a, a very strong point of view, and he's he's a you know totally died in the wool Australian as well. So I thought he'd be really shouting for the Aussies and basically denouncing England. He's a former colleague of mine at Durham and uh, a, a real antagonizer of the West Indies in the the late eighties when, of course, he he, he asked Curtly Ambrose to remove his sweatbands on one famous occasion, and Ambrose responded with five for one. Uh, if you haven't guessed who I mean now, it's Dean Jones, who, who was always a, a fantastic guy to play with, very, very aggressive and ho- totally supportive of your team, but a real pain in the ass to play against. He, w- he would really wind up the opposition wherever he was, and he, as I say, antagonised the West Indies hugely. And I was expecting him to say, when I asked him who's going to win the Ashes in eight, eight, nine months' time. I was going to expect him to say, well, of course it's going to be Australia, but he didn't. Well, the big problem is for Australia at the moment is confidence. Um, you know, they get belted up in India and lose a couple of series coming into it. And, of course, when teams get belted up, there's going to be changes of players on their top order. Is Renshaw going to be good if he gets put through the ringer against Ashwin and and Co? Um, it's, it's going to be difficult, saying with Hanscom, etc., um, I still think England are favourites. There's no doubt about that. But we're, we're not close yet. You know, oh, I, I don't think Australia's close yet. And there's a long way to go. Um, your batting, England's batting, still strong. I think their their bowling is strong. They seem to plan a little better. Uh, the biggest problem that England's got is the fact that they need the ball to move around. And we've been batting on corporate pitches, flat, flat, flat pitches. They have been for the last four or five years now in Australia. And the, the ball, the kookaburra ball, is not swinging at all. It's going like frozen rope. And uh, and that's allowing players like 
Smith, etc., to get deep back and across and whip balls from the fifth stump through Mick Wicket and get away with it. When the good old days, you just couldn't do that, particularly if the ball's moving. And if Stark doesn't swing the ball, he's not quite as effective. Hazel was probably our best bowler in Australia this summer. So Lyon's not bowling as well. as. And if he doesn't bowl well in India, there's going to be question marks. Will he get picked again? So there's a lot of question marks on the Australian team. Um, but that doesn't should say you flick them off the page. But uh, I think there's a lot more um, secure, well, secure, stable players within the core group of England. I, I'm expecting them to, to be favourites. And what do you think about the batting? Well, obviously, you've got you know you've got David Warner, who's yep. you know punching way above his weight. If, if you pardon the pun. Well, look what happened with the bowling attack they had. Uh, South Africa, and they went through us. One, one young kid, a Rivada, and went just went through them and got it bowled in, in good areas, and, and players nicked off. Um, um, so the top four had to change. The batsmen had to change, and and to their credit, they did uh, after after Hobart, but was over them. But they they played a lot better, and and you can look at the stats. You got Peter Hanscom, and I I batted at five a fair bit for Australia. I wouldn't mind coming in at three for one hundred and sixty. Two for two, uh, three for two hundred and ten, three for two hundred and thirty-three, three for three hundred and ten. Uh, not once did he come in under the score one hundred and fifty-seven. So it's a little bit different coming in at three for forty or three for fifty and being able to play freely. So um, in that respect, the top four batsmen improved with Renshaw, who played very, very well, good player, and, and Warner started to get runs, and, and Smith was great again. So and and Usman Khawaja, I think, is a very much an underrated player. Uh, but, so they start to get their their games on track again. But let, let, let's let's uh, Australia really struggled in Perth. Uh, Stain got himself injured, and all of a sudden Rabada and 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 Philander and whatnot and just stood up and went through them. Just went through them. And they should never have done that in that situation on a flat Perth track, and they did. So and then they went through them in Hobart. They couldn't handle the ball moving again square and I've got a bit green in the pitch a bit and if there's anything if the ball's starting to move our batsmen will nick off and if there is a, a day that we might get overcast conditions and it's a morning and we we don't bounce back that well our, our batting is still inexperienced and that's a bit of a two out all out situation or three out if he goes he Warner Smith out we, we don't seem to make any runs Wade didn't make a run Neville hasn't made a run as the keepers at tail is the second worst tail for partnership from 7-Eleven uh, in the world. So I, th- I see a lot of negativity. Still a lot of work needed, needed to be done by the Australian team. So that was Dean Jones. I, I think he's conveniently forgotten, having argued the case for England winning the Ashes, that you know he was sort of saying that England's batting is, is set and the team is very stable. But it's not really. Cook, of course, number one. But although we've seen some promise from Hamid and Jennings two and three, with Root potentially slipping to four. They've only played three or four tests between them. They've got no real experience. So I think there's an, there's an opportunity for the Australians there with a fairly green numbers two and three. Plus, England haven't contributed for, from four and five too much in the last couple of years. Obviously, Root going to four should... That's definitely going to happen. Is it Root four? I, can, I, I think it's obvious. I and mean, If you're captain... I think you just want that bit more breathing space, mm. don't you? Yeah. 
I mean, England have been solid in the middle order. They've got, got middle order and lower order runs. They've got Stokes coming in at number six, who has yeah. made that century in, on the last Ashes tour at the, at the WACA, and the Australians really respected him even even then, which is quite early in his Test match career. What about England's bowling? Uh, I mean, Jimmy Anderson, he, he's, no one's getting any younger, but he's beginning to creak now. He's, he's missing Test matches. Is, is he yeah. even going to be there? I hope so, and obviously he hopes so. Yeah, I, it, injuries happen much more after you're 30, for obvious reasons, if you're a fast bowler. I remember that absolutely happening to me, and you don't notice your lack of potency creeping up on you. You think that you're so still you can get on, on the park and get you can get yourself fit, but yeah. actually when you're on the on at their bowling, it's, it's not quite working for you it's, as it used it's, to. It's weird. It, 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 you run up to bowl and you bowl at people sort of number seven or eight who you used to knock over fairly comfortably, and suddenly they're pulling you for four off a ball that you used to really te- tease them and test them with. So uh, unfortunately, age to bowlers, particularly fast bowlers, does creep up on you uh, unannounced. Obviously, they've got Chris Wokes as an excellent foil or you know backup for for Anderson. Similar sort of bowler, perhaps less deceptive, but a bit quicker. And I I like Jake Ball. I think he's got something sort of waspish pace and and seam. And while we're on the subject of you know slightly dodgy batsmen or unproven batsmen, let's say for England, the same applies to Australia. You know, they've got an opener Renshaw who looks okay, but. Again, we don't really know how he's going to handle the ball moving around. And the, the one I think it, it, it has been surprisingly good so far is uh, Peter Hanscom. And, you know, it doesn't look like he's got much of a technique, but cr- incredibly he's got runs, but he keeps coming in. As well, Dean was saying that, wasn't he? He keeps coming in when Australia in a yeah. really strong position. So, so the pressure's not quite on as much. It'll all depend whether the ball actually does anything. The problem is... Kookaburra balls never seem to move, so it'll be down to possibly conditions. Are we going to get a cloudy, overcast day or two during the Ashes? England possibly will exploit that better. And there's a day-night test match to throw in as well. Wow. I mean, it's really boiling up to be a fascinating series. Two sides that are still trying to find themselves, if you like, and no obvious outright winner, as we've heard from an Australian. Okay. We'll move on, but we'll do so after a short break. We'll actually be talking about the laws of the game and potential big changes. Back after this break. Welcome back to the Analyst Inside Cricket. We're going to talk about the laws of the game now and some good news, Simon, for bowlers and umpires. Let's start with the bowlers. Well, before we start with the bowlers, I'm just going to ask you one question. And this this can be a question that that the, the listeners can consider as well. What is the only element of cricket parameters wise measurements wise that hasn't changed since the first laws of the game in 1744 there is a handkerchief on the wall of the lords museum and it depicts the first ever laws of cricket which were codified in 1744 and there is one item on there written in funny old language which still applies to the game today measurements wise well Get you to sort of just think about that, what the that measurement is, which is still exactly the same. Don't I, I, I sense you might know. Well, I can take a stab at it, but I'm not sure if it's the right answer. I can, I mean, measurements wise, I can think. Uh, it might be the the height of the stumps. No, or it might be the length of the pitch. Maybe, maybe it's it, it, it could be size of the crease. Could be. Anyway, let's 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 talk. Go on to why we're talking about the laws. The laws of cricket have been 
properly rewritten by the MCC, having been amended a number of times over the last decade. This in front of me here is the draft of the new code 2017. It will come into existence in October officially, but a number of the laws have been quite significantly rewritten because of the changes in the game, the evolution of the game. And we said good news for, for bowlers. That's because one of the laws is about the bat. It's law six. And uh, it's uh, finally going to be the bat sizes are going to be restricted officially. So four and a quarter inches wide, which has always been the case. And the width and depth is now going to be at a limit. The edges can't be more than 40 millimetres. And the depth from the, the middle of the bat to the back of the bat at the thickest point can't be more than 67 millimetres. Now, people will say, well, that's massive. But it's not as massive as some bats. David Warner's edge is 50 millimetres, so 10 millimetres is going to have to come off that. And the, the thickness of it from the middle to the back, some of the, some of the bats used by people like Chris Gale, Warner, Usman Kouad is another one, they're, they're 80 millimetres in depth. Uh, they can only be 67 and there is a, a little gauge which has been designed by the MCC, and all bats have to fit through that. So a bit like when you put your suit, your your hand luggage in at the airport, you can have to slot it in to make sure it's, yeah, it's the a right little, size. It's a little plastic triangle in the shape of a bat, and the bat has to be able to to go through it. And we we debated a long time at MCC committee how the this law would be applied. For instance, what happens if a batsman scores? 120, and then, you know, towards the end of his innings, they notice that actually the bat's thicker than it, mm. it looks as if it should be. It looks like it might be illegal. What do you do? And uh, the answer is nothing. It's too late. But you can you can check it at that point with the, with the gauge, or the umpire can check it, and if it's found to be too thick and doesn't go through, then he's not allowed to use that bat anymore. But he doesn't give the runs back. Uh, so it's you know. going to be slightly self-policing. The umpires can check it... To a certain extent, but it's not it's not foolproof. But you're relying on batsmen just adhering to the laws of the game. Yeah, I, I mean this this by the way is still forty millimeter edge is still a massive edge, but it's it's not allowing it to get out of control. It, it it's not going to reduce the number of sixes. It might reduce the number of mishits for six slightly. There's been a lot of scientific analysis done on this by the MCC, hanging a bat from a uh, a hook and doing sort of tests, proper scientific tests, seeing how the ball behaves when it's whacked on different parts of the bat, and they've proved that the velocity off with these huge chunky bats, the velocity of all sorts of bits of it is huge, very high, because of the thickness, and that at least limiting the the depth and, and thickness of the bat is going to stop those miscues from going for six but I don't think it's going to have that much effect on the game overall but it just gives the bowlers a bit more hope I mean it's so demoralizing bowling at a, a guy with a bat that size knowing that I mean in, in the other day at Pune one of the one day internationals we were at um, the bowling was Ashwin the batsman was Stokes it went off the leading edge for six straight mm. over his head and that that kind of thing might not happen now so which I think is good good yeah what, what about the help for the umpires then well, the help for the umpires is that for the, for the first time, there's going to be... I apologise for the rustling paper here, but I'm just kind of going through the, the appropriate bit. There's going to be now four codes of punishment for levels of unacceptable behaviour. It's Law 42, and it's all to do with fair and unfair play. 
And basically, now the umpires have these four options for unsuitable you know, or poor behaviour to penalise it. Um, level one offence is a warning. The level two offence is five penalty runs. A level three offence is a suspension of the player for a number of overs. And a level four offence is sending off. So for the first time in cricket, a player can officially, under the laws of the game, be sent off for a, for a misdemeanour. That, that's coming in in the autumn. Well, we better actually find out what a level four offence is, what you, what you have to do to be sent off in a cricket match in the future. I mean, people will be saying, and, and again, we've had these debates in, in committee, um, well, you know, what, cricket surely doesn't need to stoop to these depths and bring in these new laws. It's a bit draconian and surely, you know, people behave properly on cricket, but they don't. Five games in club cricket had to be abandoned in 2015 in the UK because of unacceptable player behaviour. Umpires up and down the country in club cricket are finding their jobs more and more difficult to to perform. They're, they're not enjoying being umpires at all. It's hard and hard to get umpires because mm. there's so much abuse going on. They get you know a pittance, often twenty quid or something. They're often slightly elderly and and they just get treated with contempt. And so this is at last uh, some measures given to them to at least wield a bit of authority. Level one offence is general sort of poor behaviour, abuse, showing dissent in an umpire's decision, using language that is obscene, making an obscene gesture. So, you know, slightly tame stuff, but still offensive. Level two is showing serious dissent at an umpire's decision, making inappropriate or deliberate physical contact with another player, throwing the ball at a player, that kind of thing. That can uh, cost you five penalty runs. A level three offence is intimidating an umpire, threatening to assault another player or, or even a spectator. And then a level four offence, which is... The sending off offence. The sending off offence is really threatening, physical assault, committing an act of violence on the field of play, and that has happened yeah, quite often yeah. in, in club cricket recently, uh, committing, using language or a gesture that seriously offends, insults, humiliates, threatens, disparages vilifies a, a, another player um, so anything that's really severely intimidatory or a few or, or offensive and it, it happened I mean I you know I played in a club game uh, a couple of years ago and a batsman didn't walk for an obvious edge and you know all hell broke loose on the yeah. field it was horrendous yeah. and in fact the, the most of the abuse was directed at the player rather than the umpire but behaviour on the field has, has got poor and in fact the, the Durham Senior League tried out the red and yellow card sort of experimental system last year that the MCC introduced as a sort of as an experiment, and it, apparently player behaviour improved massively. So the tests have been done, and and this is the result. Do you think that would have been a, a good idea to bring in yellow and red cards? No, actually, I think it, you know that does go down the football route. But I think that definitely umpires need to have these powers and. I hope that, that some have no hesitation, if the behaviour is bad enough, in sending a player off, sin-binning them for a bit at least. It seems to me that this is mainly for club cricket. You, yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't expect this, certainly the, the sending off behaviour, to happen at, at international level, would no, you? No, sure. No, you wouldn't. And I mean, it could do, but it, you wouldn't expect these it. These laws will definitely apply to all levels of the game, including international cricket, but you're quite right. Club cricket is certainly the one they're focusing on the most. 
actually, behaviour in some schools matches isn't great yeah. either. It's got so noisy and you know it's deafening listening to a school game now with all the, the banter and the rattle going on. Hopefully, you know this will kind of slightly re- reduce it all, and people can get on with the game. Yeah, make, it could make people think. Uh, I was conscious when I was playing club cricket. I played a lot of it in in Bristol, then Birmingham, and London. It was it was worse in London. Uh, you know the sort of intimidation and and the abuse. Perhaps it was a slightly higher level. I remember one bowler. You'd be standing at the non-striker's end. He'd go back to his mark behind the umpire. The umpire probably wouldn't see this, or the <laughs> square leg umpire might come into play on this. And he would make obscene gestures to the non-striker behind the umpire's back. I'd n- I've never seen anything like that, and I've, I've only ever seen it from one one bowler. But it's not. The, it's really not the sort of thing you want to be seeing or being subjected to on a cricket field. So perhaps if it makes players just think again, then your committee uh, you know, has done something good for the game. But there was a question at the end of the discussion. Um, does it mean that we can't call, say, Mike Gatting a fat git anymore? <laughs> and someone else said, well, no, you can't argue with the truth. So uh, I, I, I don't know how it's going to affect sledging, but certainly anything sort of with any racial overtones... Yep. That's that's a serious offence. That's that's, so that a be, level, that's a level four offence. Uh, well, I think it? it's level three or four, right. depending on the severity of it. Sometimes it's going to be hard to prove, isn't it? You yeah. get a player saying, "Oh, he called him a so and so." The umpire didn't really hear it. What do you do about it? I guess you've got nothing unless you can actually prove that you heard it yourself. Uh, one thing I can think of, could be a problem at, at club level is, is just the umpires having that authority to send someone off, having that sort of strength of character. You mentioned the fact that, that you know a lot, there are a lot of older people who who umpire. You know, you've got young young men who mm. are, might be forty years younger than you. You've got to send them off the field. I mean, that might lead to a, to a further problem. Mm. But yes. then I suppose that, and then if that game that then gets abandoned and it goes to the league authorities, and then they can take really strong action. So, well, let's hope that the leagues back up the umpires as well. Let's hope the players back up the umpires or, or back down and let the umpires get on with running the game. Yeah, I, I hope that's the case. That's the, obviously the aim is in the end to. To give the control to the players to behave, and then these these measures aren't necessary. One other little tiny uh, thing I quite liked about the changes in the laws: every single law, all forty-two of them, have been analysed in close detail, and one or two bits rewritten. And actually, they've added throughout the laws he stroke she, so it's not just a male domain anymore. It's all very much uh, non-gender specific, if you like, uh, to reflect the, the huge growth in in the women's game. But they've one law has been abandoned, completely binned, and that's law twenty, lost ball. Because uh, of course, when is that because you're not playing anymore? <laughs> well, I, I did. There's a few balls that did get lost actually, quite right when I was bowling. But that obviously counts as six, and you just get a new one. But in the in the in the 1700s, 1800s, there were times when the ball, because the fields they played on were so rough and overgrown, a ball did actually did disappear, and they couldn't find it on the field of play, or it it went down a molehill or something. But obviously, that doesn't happen anymore. So. Lost ball is is no more. Well, there we go. Well, that's another big change. Um, what about that, that question you asked right at the start? Yes. Well, well the answer was, was is. Was I right? What did you say? Well, I said that the the stumps, the no. the bales, the no. pitch, the crease, the pitch, the pitch. The pitch. Well, there we go. The pitch. Seventeen forty four. The pitch was twenty two yards long, which is uh, it was it was made twenty two yards because twenty two yards was known as a chain, which was a an agricultural unit of measurement in the 1740s, and it's stayed the same ever since.
and that's the only one. It's the only law. The ball's changed in, in weight. The bat, obviously, has changed many times. The stumps have not only changed in height, but also they've added one, because it used to only be two stumps. So, you know, the other essentials of the game have changed, but the pitch has stayed the same. And now the umpires will have the power to send off players. I bet they didn't think about that in 1744. People all say, oh, you know, the game has degenerated and deteriorated and whatever happened to the spirit of cricket. But, I mean, the spirit of cricket in the 1740s was was really quite poor. You know, there was a lot of collusion going on, match-fixing, betting, gambling on the game, rigging matches, and and a lot of unruly behaviour. So it's probably about time something was done about it. OK, well, only, what, nearly 300 years later, then? (laughs) Okay, well, that's it for this week. Uh, we've got to finish, of course, with our highlight, low light. Uh, shall I go first? Yeah, go on in. Highlight. Well, it's a very simple one, actually. It's February the 13th today, and we played outside today. We practised. It was a lovely day. I, I took my daughter and my son down to the local nets, which have all been put up. Artificial surface as dry as a bone, bit of warmth from the sun, and I actually turned a couple. I, 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 think, <laughs> I think my days of trying to bowl even... Sort of medium pace are pretty much over, but I bowled a couple of off breaks and was quite pleased that my arm came over and the ball landed in roughly the right spot. Unfortunately, my daughter whopped it through the covers a few times, probably took about 20 off a couple of overs, but still, outside, playing in February, fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. Well, who knows, global warming. My, mine's a, a low light this week. We heard earlier from Dean Jones, well, he's out coaching in the, the Pakistan Super League, which is being played in the Middle East, in Dubai, and Sharjah, etc. More talk of um, spot-fixing, match-fixing, two players suspended. And that is the that is one of the problems with tw- 2020 leagues. Dave Richardson, I remember doing an interview with him about um, 14 months ago when England were in Dubai, and that's where the ICC's headquarters are. And he says, we're not so worried now about, or we don't, don't think there's a problem in international cricket. The problem is in the in the T Twenty league, so at least they've got onto it, but it's you know, it's still disappointing to to see it it going on. Yeah, and and you'd have thought they were paid enough to to not be tempted by it, but obviously there's so many rogues out there just trying to tempt players, and I, I don't think the players can claim they're not educated about it. There's so much information out there, and they're taken aside before every tournament now to to be talked about how these match fixers, how these, you know, basically criminals operate, I, I can't believe that players are still tempted by it. Well, that's true. Uh, what we should say, of course, is no-one's actually been found uh, guilty yet. We'll let uh, due process happen, but those allegations are out there, and it's 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 worrying for the game, and it's something they, the game still needs to be vigilant about. OK, well, I hope you enjoyed it. We talked about Root, we talked about change in the laws and the possibility of a a red card in future well there we go let's just hope that players behave themselves because i think it's such a great game cricket and that you know the the spirit of cricket which is written into the laws at the start i've never been the greatest fan of actually but one word it uses is respect respect the game and the opponents and the umpires and i think that says it all really good place to finish and don't forget by the way before you say goodbye You've got to leave a review on iTunes, if you don't mind, uh, and subscribe to The Analyst Inside Cricket so you'll get the programme automatically each week. Click on the button where it says subscribe. Thanks for listening. Bye.
Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.